0: explain i'm at the age but i don't want to have to do what what uh, mike is doing glasses on glasses off so i print my thing big and i don't have to look at the small prints of a bible so (laughs) you've got 14 pages of notes here that i can read with my eyes so (laughs) okay Um, I really count it such a privilege to be um, bringing the word today. I spent this last week in this text that um, Nick asked me to preach, and um, I have just been so blessed by it, actually surprisingly so. I read it initially, and I thought, yo, what am I going to say here? But as I've just spent time just digging in the word, I've been so, so overwhelmed by um, just the love and the goodness of God. So I'm praying that as I speak today that something of that, that you will grab some of that, Um, the goodness of our God. He's such a good, beautiful (laughs) God. Okay, so I want to start just by um, just a personal story, first of all, that leads us into the theme. Um, Our American guy spoke about our hospitality, and today we're going to be focusing on something Okay, and, and, the, and the the title that I'm giving today's message is God Withholds No Good Thing, and that comes from a, um, Psalms um, 84 verse 11. So just my intro is <clears throat> Francois and I were sitting preparing, um, looking at some pre-marriage manuals that we've got, just preparing for a time of counseling a couple, and um, we came across this as one um, Exercise that you can do where you ask answer a whole lot of questions to identify what your love language is and that of your spouse as well, so that in your desire to to love and bless your spouse, you're not missing the mark. Okay, so you have a number of questions that you you are asked, and then five points, and you've got to put them in an order of the thing that is most meaningful to you, number five down to the thing that kind of least hits the mark for you. So, you can put on the first just an example of it. So. Number and A there, FS stands for future spouse. So future spouse praises you about one of your special qualities. That's verbal affirmation. B is future spouse makes lunch for you. That's um, um, acts of service. C is future spouse surprises you by buying you your favorite magazine. That's just um, gifts. And D, his future spouse, plans a special night out for the two of you. That's quality time together. And then E, was future spouse, often stands by your side with the arms around you, which is like physical affection. And um, just recently, my beloved not only cooked me a beautiful lunch or took me out for a night, um, he, he planned a whole weekend for us away. And... Um, the beautiful thing about it—it it wasn't my birthday, it wasn't our anniversary. It was just because he loves me, he wanted to bless me, he wanted to give me some space, and for us to have some time together. And he researched a place that wasn't too far away with a petrol car, um, <laughs> but would be a lovely space, a new place that we could explore together. Um, a lovely spot. It was on close to a beach, the top of beach I like, which is not too many people. <laughs> just more of a long, open stretch. We can walk and just un, just beautiful uh, vegetation, unspoilt vegetation. He planned the meals. He uh, did the groceries. He cooked the food. He served me. Cleaned up afterwards. Throughout the weekend, there were these beautiful treats that he gave me that popped up throughout the week weekend away. We read <laughs> We read a book together just about, about the way that this one man's life was transformed. And it was just a beautiful time together. So why am I telling you this? <laughs> Not to make you jealous, other ladies, <laughs> or to put a heavy on you, other guys. <laughs> but it is a little picture, actually a little, little picture of what we're going to encounter today about our good, good, good God who lavishes his favor and his blessing and his goodness upon us. So we're going to get into the text today. It's from Genesis 2, and it's from verse 14 to 15. And we're going to bear in mind that we've done the whole of Genesis 1, accounts of creation, and this follows on after that. But just a little bit of an approach. When approaching a text, it's a good idea to read through the whole text in your favorite translation, read it through a few times, maybe take um, some other translations of the same text and read it and sit there with a with a notebook there and as you're reading just ask questions of the text um maybe is there something i'm not quite understanding here is there a word that maybe i could cross reference or properly understand it is there a theme that seems to be coming out what is there in this text that i can learn about god so as we read the text together um just bear that in mind and think also about the example that i've given about about my my beloved so genesis 2 4 to 5 in the new living translation so this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth and the nlt puts a heading the man and woman in eden when the lord god made the earth and the heavens neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth for the lord god had not yet sent rain to water the earth And there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the passion, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch called the gion flowed around the entire land of cush the third branch called the tigris flowed east of the land of asher the fourth branch is called the euphrates verse 15 the lord god placed the man in the garden of eden to tend and watch over it so some of the questions that came to my mind is we've just been looking at the genesis 1 accounts of creation so now why, is the, why does the author now seem to be doing another account of creation? Um, there seems to be, that the order seems a little bit muddled and confusing to me. Um, I was just wondering what is the point and the purpose of, of what he was, what, what the author is getting at. Yeah? And just on a side note, there's a higher critics movement that have um, said that the Genesis 1 account and the Genesis 2 account were written by two different authors. And they point out all sorts of discrepancies between them and say that there's error in the word of God, which is a very serious accusation to make. But just um, in Matthew 19, from verse 3 to 6, Jesus, when he's teaching on divorce, he he draws from Genesis 1.27, that account, and he draws from Genesis 2.24, which is from the second account, when he's teaching them about divorce. And by that, he validates both of these accounts as being the word of God. Okay, then just another question, which is talking about what uh, reading the text and thinking about it. The other question that came to me is, it seems very specific, this this garden in Eden, the, the rivers, and one would think one could pinpoint exactly where this garden is, and I just wondered on the map where that could be. Other themes that came out for me was just the activity of God, the hospitality of God, work in general, and those are just thoughts that I thought I would like to develop. There might be other things that come to your mind, but, but you can you know, do your own study. So let's just take it um, section by section. So we'll start with Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It says there, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And if you've got an ESV Bible, you'll see it's written, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, which seems a bit different. So what is he, what is he actually getting at here? That word, accounts of, or generations of, is a, is a Hebrew word. I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's probably to, to leader with the root meaning to give birth to or to bear. And this phrase is used 11 times throughout the book of Genesis, and it gives something of a structure to the book of Genesis. And each time it introduces a new section about the person that's named. For instance, in Genesis, in Genesis 5, 1, it says there, this is the written accounts of the family line, line, sorry, line of Adam, and then it talks about that. And then in 10, 1, it says, this is the account of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and on it goes about that. So we get from this that, that Genesis, um, so Genesis 2, 4 is not a rehash of Genesis 1. It's actually introducing a new section. And it's the first, and it's the only time where it speaks of not a person, but of creation. But the way that we can understand it is maybe to re, um, sort of rephrase it would be that this is what became of the heavens and the earth that the Lord God created or gave birth to. Or another way to understand it would be this is the account of something that came from the creation of the heavens and the earth, namely man, mankind. So what we're doing here in the second account is that is that the author is, is zooming us into particularly day six of creation, into the creation of mankind and into a garden that he created for them. Something else just to take note of is the whole of Genesis 1, when it refers to God, it says God created and if you remember, if you were here when Francois spoke, it's the word for God is Elohim, which is the plural form. It speaks of the one true God, the supreme one, the all-powerful one, the majestic one, who just by a decree, by a spoken word, is able to create. Whereas from, in Genesis 2 account, from Genesis 2, 4 onwards, there are 20 times where it speaks about Lord God. What is the significance of that? So Lord is, the, is, the, is Yahweh, which is the personal or intimate covenantal name of God. So what we're doing here, so the Genesis 1, it speaks about this majestic Elohim God. And Genesis 2, it's the same God, it's Lord God, but now it's Lord. It's, it's, it's zoning into this personal covenant God, how this majestic God becomes this intimately involved God that's intimately involved in the creation and the formation of mankind, of man. It's beautiful. You'll see that there's a parallel between um, Genesis 1, 1 to 3, just in the structure, and Genesis 2, 4 to 7. And we're just going to look at that. So Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 2, 4 are like the titles to the chapter. So Genesis 1, we said, in the beginning God, that's at L-O-M, created, and the word there Francis spoke about is bara. He created everything out of nothing. Whereas now in Genesis 2, 4, it speaks about this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And then listen here. It says when the Lord God, that's Yahweh, the intimate personal covenantal God, and then made, and now there's a switch in the words. Where He made the earth and the heavens. There's a switch around. So before the emphasis was on the heavens and the earth, the cosmos, the big, the whole big picture, and now it's zoning. Yahweh, the intimate God, is zoning down into the the earth and the heavens the emphasis being on the creation of man and the spot for man okay then the second um little section there genesis 1 2 and genesis 2 5 is giving the informa- the background information to the narrative and it seems to start here in the genesis 2 accounts sort of somewhere in day three bet- where the earth and the land is already being separated And there's this very interesting thing about there being no rain, but there being this irrigation system. It's like this underground, subterranean water system that that ongoingly springs up from the earth, in like springs or mists that, that come up and water the face of the earth. And then we get now to the narrative. And so in Genesis 1, 3, and in Genesis 2, 7, that begins. Genesis 2, 7, then again, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. So that word to form is the word, it's called yatsa, and it's different to bara. Remember, bara is you create something out of nothing. Now yatsa is a word, it's a creative word, it's an artistic word. It's God creating something out of an existing something, out of ground. And it's a picture of the potter who's forming clay. And the same, the, the, the same pictures in Jeremiah 8, 2 to 4, Romans 9, 20 to 23. But the importance here is that the potter has a right to make what he wants with the clay. He forms and fashions it according to a specific design. And in Isaiah twenty nine eighteen, it speaks to the whole atheistic voice of today. And in the net it says, your thinking is perverse. Should the potter be regarded as clay, should the thing made say about its maker, he didn't make me? Or should the pottery say about the potter, he doesn't understand? Here we see our intimate God getting his hands, you could say, dirty, in the dust of the ground. It's, it's there, it says there, so he made man from the dust of the ground. And the, and the word for man is Adam. That's where the Adam comes from. It comes from the Hebrew man. And then he made, he made man from the ground, which is the Adama however you say it adama yeah it's not gold dust it's just the dust of the ground and it speaks something about just the lowliness and the the fragility of man and yet you have this amazing god that comes and he does this intimate act of breathing life into the nostrils of man and that word um the word for breathe and spirit is the same in many languages so in in latin it's spiritus in, in um, Greek, it's, it's um, what's it again, pneuma. And in, and in Hebrew, it's ruach, something of the breathing. So as the Spirit of God breathes his breath into mankind, he becomes this living being. He receives something of the Spirit of God, something of the image of God. So he's both earth and he's, he's made in the image of God. And it just brings to light that whole picture again, just of how, God, we need a breath every minute or two every minute if god were to hold withhold the next breath from us we would die we would go back to the ground but he is there constantly sustaining us with his breath of life it's such a beautiful picture and how can we be so we can raise our fist at this at this maker god when we need him to sustain us there's a beautiful verse in 1 corinthians 15 verse 45 that says the first adam became a living being that's what we've read about here now in seven. The last Adam, which is Christ, a life-giving spirit. And the Amplified adds there, restoring the dead to life. So we know that when we die, we, ret- re- we just return to the dust. And we know that Adam and Eve messed up, and there was a spiritual death that happened. But the wonderful, wonderful thing is that be- when we are born again, when we when we put our trust in Jesus, we are born again, and the Spirit of God again breathes life into us, so that even though we may die, and our body would go down into the ground, our spirit is being made alive, and we are eternal beings, and we will never die again. It's just such a lovely picture that we can remember here. So we've encountered this God that is formed and fashioned, we've encountered this God that is breathed, and now we see a God, our God, our, this big, big God that starts gardening. He's created the cosmos, but now he starts gardening and forming a lovely spot that is just prepared for, for Adam and Leith and his wife to come Eve. It, it, it's beautiful. He starts gardening. Then, and so that's in verse eight, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had made the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground I just love that I love the creativity and the, and the diversity of our God he's not a boring God he's not religious and dry and dusty um he's this creator there's, there's color there's, there's diversity it's 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 so beautiful trees that were beautiful not just a functional God beautiful to the eyes and they produced delicious fruits so tasty to the mouth just all the senses God was just blessing he was providing this place it was just an absolute absolute blessing for Adam and Eve abundance beauty diversity planning that got, went into this then in the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I'm not going to go into this now because it remember the section that we're doing is leading up to the rest of of this chapter and particularly into what what happens in chapter three so i'm going to say here be to be continued so make sure (laughs) make sure you come back to the next episode (laughs) we're going to carry on with eden so in verse 10 a river flowed from the land of eden watering the garden and then dividing into four branches the first branch called the passion and that means to gush Flowed around the entire land of Havila, which was a sandy land, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure, aromatic. Now, the message adds in there sweet smelling uh, resin. It was a resin, and some of your translations will say bedelium. And my man was Googling this morning about mede- bedelium, and it is a, it's a, actually a cholesterol lowering, it's got, got cholesterol lowering properties, so there was something medicinal about it. And, and then there's this onyx stone, which is a stone that was actually one of the stones that was to be placed in the high priest's um, breast piece. And it was also on the onyx stone, two onyx stones was engraved, the names of the sons of Israel that was to be worn by the priests on, a, on the shoulders. And this onyx stone also is found in, in the foundations of the walls of the New Jerusalem. So the picture here is again just of this of beauty of a land a whole land that is just mineral rich, rich in resources the the second branch called gihon which is to bubble or spring forth flowed around the entire land of kush the third branch called the tigris some translations will say Hecadel hecadel yeah flowed east of the land of Asher which is in the east side of assyria And Daniel ten four, we have Daniel that's on the on the banks of the Tigris when he's seeing a vision in in Persia, and then the fourth branch is Euphrates. So although there's a lot of details in um, this description, if you can just go to the next slide. it's not actually, we can't actually pinpoint exactly where this is. We know that there's the Tigris River and there's a Euphrates River that is in uh, modern day Turkey going down into um, Persia, at least uh, into Iraq. In the old days, it was more Mesopotamia, this fertile crescent of Babylonia area. But we don't actually know where this, uh, the Gihon and the uh, Pishon um, rivers were exactly. And and some some commentators feel that with the flood, there was not only, it speaks about in in Genesis 7, 7 verse 11, and not only was there this deluge of water that came down at the time of the flood, but it speaks, it says springs of the great deep burst forth. So there was possibly something of a, like a moving of tectonic plates and changing of waterways, we don't know exactly, but that's kind of beside the point. But, um, the, the, the word Eden is in, in the Hebrew is related to the words that are pleasure and luxury and delight. The, the Amplified speaks about a land of happiness, and the Persian uh, this the Septuagint. How do you say that? Which is a Greek version of the Greek of the Hebrew Bible, um, translates it as from a Persian word which is paradise. So you, it's just those beautiful pictures of of like this utopia, something very very beautiful and perfect. And in, in, throughout the Bible, it speaks of it as being the garden of the Lord. And it's just the epitome of a happy place, of a beautiful place. So all of God's creation was good. We know that he, after each phase of creating, he said this was good. It was, and the creation of man was very good. But now God particularly creates this little spot that's perfectly designed for Adam and Eve to, to, to live and find pleasure and delight And it was a place uh, where God withheld no good thing from his creation. It was an absolute gift of God's grace. They did absolutely nothing to deserve it, but it was given as a gift of God's grace. Um, It was a place of harmony, a place of innocence, just a place of intimate fellowship between God and his creation. And the thing is that God hasn't changed. He's the same God today as he was the God then. He's the same God. He says we, we read in the Bible about Him this being, being the God that causes His sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's the God that that causes His rain to fall on the good and on the bad. He's the good that the God that was able to provide for the wayward Israelites for 40 years in a desert, just providing for them. In Psalm 107 verse 8 to 9, it speaks of the loyal love of our God who satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. He's a good, good God psalm 104 from um i'd love you to read the whole chapter but i'm just going to read some of the verses there i'd love it just as i read it for, for just to wash over you just something of the picture of the goodness and the bounty and the kindness of our god if you have a picture of god being a stingy god of him being withholding goodness from you i just ask that you would open your hearts and your spirits and allow god to show you that he's different so verse 10 of Psalm 104 says, You make springs pour water into the ravines, so streams gush down from the mountains. It's not a trickle or a little like a little flow. It's like gushing and pouring. They provide water for all the animals, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The, nest, the birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. It's just a happy, happy picture. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home, And you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. We look at all this goodness and, and it just seems amazing that Adam and Eve were the recipients of so, so much goodness. And yet they could, they could doubt the goodness of God. And James says to each one of us, that each one of us, we are recipients of so much from the Lord. And he says in James 1, 16 to 17, it says, do not be deceived or misled. All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light's. That's the creator, the sun, moon, and the stars, this same God that we've been reading about and learning about today, that the gifts that you receive, all goodness comes from him, from his generous open hand that is extended towards you, with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. He's not a devious God, he doesn't double cross. He's not this way today and that way tomorrow. He's constant, he's consistent, he's kind and good and stable and wonderful. It doesn't mean that everything will go right all the time, as Sean was saying, but in the midst of even of difficulties, he is there, he is present, and he is good. Even work is a good good gift from God. And that's what we read of in, in, in verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. That word tend is to labor, to work, to care for. And that care for is the same term that was used with the Good Samaritan when there was that traveller that was beaten up, the Jewish guy, and he goes and he just he tends, he ca- tends for him, he cares for him in the most generous and sacrificial way. And then um, he, it also has got something of a Levitical sense to it, to to serve. Also, that 1 Timothy 3:5 was where the elders were to serve the church. It's that same word that Adam and Eve was to serve and to tend the garden. And then to watch over is to maintain, keep, guard, protect, govern, even observe and give heed. So basically, Adam and Adam was placed in the garden to serve and obey God and to look after his creation. So just two applications I thought here. So what, the first one is around the thing of creation care, is that we have been given a stewardship to look after the earth that God has created and not to, to mess it up and not to exploit its resources and um, there was, there's a movement in 2011, it's a Lausanne movement, which is a group of churches, church leaders that came together from all over the world to like, re-look at what the mission statements of the church is and to mandate us to, to action. And um, in a document called the Cape Town Commitment, they name a number of things. And one of the interesting things that I found, I love that document, but there's one thing in point seven, it says, we love God's world. And basically it says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that it was designed to bring glory to God and to draw people to himself and to revelation of who he is. And if we trash it and we exploit it, we're messing with with that. And if we claim to love our God, we will look after the creation that he's given us to look after. And then just the second thing that I I thought for us just to re-look at is just our mindset around the thing of work our theology you could say or just our philosophy around work is that we when you look at genesis 1 and genesis 2 doesn't it strike you to see how busy god is he's constantly at work he's doing he's working he's working he's active and then there's this beautiful like thing that he does is that after he does something he sits back and he looks and he takes joy and he takes pride in it he takes delight in it and we are made in the image of god and that's what he calls us to hear. He called Adam and Eve to partner together with him. And he calls us to, to, to work w- with everything that we have as unto the Lord. That's what um, my, actually one of my, my mottos at school is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. And um, some of us may think that um, work is a curse. Or <laughs> well, it's this necessary evil that you just have to do to be able to put bread on the table or food on the table. But actually, we see here that it was a gift from God, and that the curse came in, uh, the difficulty of work came in after Adam had sinned, and then it said that work was going to be there was going to be sweat involved in work, there was going to be um, thorns and thistles. And after Cain had killed Abel, the ground that used to produce beautifully for him, the curse there was that it wouldn't be so productive. But I believe that we, can, we need to go back, and I need to, I know myself, sometimes there can be a drudgery in, in work. We need to go back again and say, God, you have gifted me with the ability to work. And Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, created, first of all, created in our mother's womb knit together beautifully knit together with specific gifts and talents that are created in us and we've been recreated in christ jesus with to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do for us to walk into so i'm asking that god would teach me more just about how me working with integrity and with joy in my workplace can bring glory to god and i believe that's something that god can redeem somehow our concept of of what work is all about And lastly, I just want to jump to the last chapter of the book of the Bible, and that's Revelation 22. We haven't got time to read it all, but Revelation 22, the title of my chapter there is Eden Restored. And the same God that prepared the original Eden so, so beautifully for Adam and Eve is the same God that even when we messed up has made a plan. And his plan was to send this most indescribable gift of his grace, the gift of his son Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we can be redeemed from the curse and the effects of sin. And when Jesus left earth, he says, I am going to prepare a place to you for you. And I'm going to be coming back and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to myself. And Revelations 21 and 22 speaks about a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem that has been prepared by God that comes down out of heaven, and it's going to be the dwelling place of God and man together. Not only will Adam and Eve walk occasionally together with God in that garden, but people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who have been redeemed, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will be fellowshipping together with God. Not only part of the day, because he won't be day and night, because he's only light and night because Jesus is there. That like 24-7, although there won't be time, <laughs> we will be together with God, fellowshipping together with him. And then from the throne is gushing this beautiful crystal clear stream. And on both sides of that stream, there's the tree of life. And those, that tree of life bears fruit every single month. And its and its, and its um, fruit is for the healing of the nations. There will be no sickness. There will be no sorrow. There will be no shame. There will be no Satan that's lurking in the bush ready to deceive us. We will be together with our God in this Eden restored. Hallelujah. And <laughs> I think, what is our response meant to be? How should we respond in the light of this incredibly generous, kind God? Surely it would be that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Surely it would be that we would worship him and that we would serve him with every ounce of our being. And then surely we should look at the goodness that God has given us so much, he's blessed us with so much, and that we would be hospitable, that we would take that which we have been given and that we would bless others and we would host others with the same generosity with which we have been hosted. Amen. Okay. 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 Stay
1: you stand? All stand, oh, oh. I'm on, yeah. okay, just have... I just think it was oh, there you go. Wonderful. It really is an incredibly beautiful picture just of this God, this generous, generous God who loves us so, so much. And um, I think it was incredible, my love. Thank you so much for blessing us. And I'd love Ingrid to pray for us. As we have felt, even though I said right from the start, all of us who prayed and asked, What is God doing today? From the start, He was preparing us, He was saying to us, even prophetically, that he is preparing a table before us. And we've been looking at Genesis, a place, um, how God created this paradise, Eden, for us to have personal, intimate, beautiful relationship with him, like what we said. And and I feel that God is wanting to give us a new revelation of who he, he truly is. For many of us have has been tainted uh, through experience or through what we've heard from other people or whatever that we've grown up with. But God has just wanted to wash this state sort of clean in a way of all those and just say to us, just allow me to again show you truly who I am. And then and then it's like impossible for us not to respond to that. but it is that revelation of of the beauty of our father god that we could look at and and just the intimacy that he desires with us and that he's actually enabled us to enjoy sin has taken that away but he's enabled us to enjoy that that intimacy with him so so as ingrid pray for us just to receive that I'd love for each of you to do and then and then there's going to be a, a beautiful song that ends with us and let let's sing it with all our hearts of, of a declaration to him that we truly want him to captivate our vision let's be our be our my vision so
0: our beautiful heavenly father i've just been worshiping in this week to the song we sang earlier on about jesus but also just about you being a good good father is that you are a good good father to you are and we and we are loved by you that's who we are i just want to thank you so much for your word thank you so much that as we read in your word we cannot but be overwhelmed by your love that is extended that is lavished down upon us now thank you for your word Your written word, but thank you for you, Holy Spirit, that's here with us now. That would open our minds and would blow off the lies that have sometimes just been caking over our minds just the lies that the devil has spoken about God being mean, or even about us being unworthy to receive anything from God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would show us afresh just the beauty of Jesus as you've been doing it. As I've been preaching, I believe you've been opening eyes and. I pray, Lord, that you would take off any heaviness, that you would take off any sense of unworth about anybody, because as we've seen here, Adam and Eve did nothing to deserve the way that they were lavished upon. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it's not through any merit of our own that we are loved by our Father and that we are loved by you. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Just come, Holy Spirit, just open our eyes open our hearts. Our I pray for those maybe that have never really walked with you, who don't know you, who have only thought of you as being stern and distant and somebody that they don't really want to know. I pray, Lord, for you, Holy Spirit, to come as you did in in, in, in originally there. You hovered over the over the waters and you came and you brought life. And I pray just for the gift of eternal life. I pray that you would give the gift Of eternal life to those here that don't know you thank you lord for your goodness we we worship you we turn our faces towards you we turn our gaze towards you we take our eyes off our surroundings and off the things that are making us to be worried and anxious and lord we want to glorify you by trusting you that you are a god that is trustworthy and i pray lord you help us today not to be worried and anxious but to set our affection and our expectation and our gaze on you, Jesus.